1: The reign of Angela Merkel is drawing to a close. She spent a magisterial 16 years at the helm of Europe's largest country and most powerful economy. This weekend, 60 million Germans head to the polls to cast their ballot on who should succeed her. As they bid farewell to Muti, a new era awaits Germany at home. In the Europe shaped by its 1990 unification, and in a crucial transatlantic relationship with roots in the defeated Nazi Germany after 1945 and the role of the Western Allies in the Cold War. You're listening to The Economist Asks. I'm Anne McElvoy, and this week we're asking what happens after Merkel? over 30 years, I've been watching and writing about Angela Merkel. So for this episode, we decided to take a longer look at her legacy and also look forward to what a new era might mean for the future of Germany. Angela Merkel's eventful life began in Templin, a small East German town of cobbled streets surrounded by the pine forests of North Germany. She was born in 1954, the eldest daughter of a West German Protestant pastor who'd moved east for a mixture of political and evangelical reasons and soon became disillusioned with life under communism. Her childhood, she said, was defined by the division of the
2: two Germanys. Die Welt war geteilt in Ost und West. Ich bin in Ostdeutschland aufgewachsen, in der DDR, Dem damals unfreien teil meines heimatlandes in einer diktatur
1: academically gifted she studied physics first at university in leipzig and then in east berlin living under the shadow of the berlin wall i first met her in the heady days of early 1990 first as a reform activist and then as a party official as the fall of the wall brought forward new pro democracy movements in the east and Merkel found her home in the centre-right Christian Democrats. It was, she said, the rapid change of late 1989 that proved the catalyst for a political career. I covered the political euphoria of the first free elections in East Germany since the war. And it was the election of 1990 that saw Angela Merkel enter the Bundestag, the German parliament. But she soon earned an unflattering nickname, the milkmaid, because of her tendency to blush, her mousy brown, cropped haircut and sensible clothes. I do remember a CNA dirndl skirt that she wore an awful lot. Germany's then leader Helmut Kohl sought an East German protégé in his cabinet and he took Merkel under his wing, parachuting his protégé into the position of Minister for Women and Youth. But there was also a tougher side to the milkmaid. When Kohl was found to have been involved in a party funding scandal, Merkel committed political patricide, writing a newspaper piece effectively calling for the man who'd reunited Germany and launched her career to lose his job as party leader and then as chancellor. The fall of her mentor paved her way to the top. 2005, she ran for chancellor against the incumbent Gerhard Schröder on a pledge to modernise the country and get the economy match fit for the
2: 21st century. Chance gibt wieder mehr Arbeitsplätze in Deutschland zu haben, der Chance gibt wieder stärker in der Welt als eine wirtschaftlich fortschrittliche Kraft. It
1: did look like Schröder's campaign to lose. This was, after all, the era of centre-left predominance in a lot of big European countries but in a bullion, Schröder mismanaged a crucial TV encounter after the vote, predicting that Merkel would not become Chancellor. You can take my word for it. Looking back on that clip, I see Merkel's watchful eyes, like a champion tennis player, just waiting for the right moment to hit back. (laughs) Schröder's performance lost him some crucial coalition-building support, and by that September, Angela Merkel was sworn in as the German chancellor.
2: Ich schwöre, dass ich meine Kraft dem Wohle des deutschen Volkes widmen, seinen Nutzen mehren, Schaden von ihm wenden. So war mir Gott helfe.
1: Wolfgang Novak is the former advisor to Merkel's predecessor as Chancellor, Gerhard Schröder. He watched the rise of the young upstart from the East. And Wolfgang has also dealt with her personally down the years. So I spoke to him from his home in Baden-Württemberg. So tell me about the first time you came across Angela Merkel. Where were you? When was it and what was she like?
0: It was in a restaurant in about 2000. A mutual friend, a journalist, introduced me to her. First, she was very friendly, very open. And suddenly she found out that when I was working uh, with Mr. Schröder, and immediately she changed. And this attitude not to trust someone whom she doesn't know has been with her all her time. She was like an oyster. She closed, we had a nice discussion, but it was no longer an open one.
1: And it's interesting that you met her when she was really gearing up to fight Gerhard Schröder, the SPD leader at the time and and highly successful for a while. What qualities did you see in her that you think made her think from a relatively inexperienced background, she could beat this titan of politics in the 2000s and become the leader of Germany?
0: Well, in the beginning, I must admit, when I saw her and I knew that she wanted to challenge Mr. Schroeder, I had just a big smile for her, nothing else. Schroeder was at the top of his power. But when you look closer to her, she was more modern than any other. She was not typical Christian Democrat. She was divorced. She was Protestant. She was coming from the East. And she was no politician. She was a scientist. And her ability to fight people like Schroeder and other than other parties was the ability of a scientist. Trial and error. When she found the truth, she knew that in this truth could be buried the arrow of tomorrow. And this was the ability of Merkel. And the other ability was first to win her party for her, was that she is excellent in crisis management. She proved to be the only calm person in the room, the only grown up.
1: For 16 years, she's been the cautious captain of the German ship, outlasting three U.S. presidents, five British prime ministers and, well, eight leaders of Italy. For her countrymen, Europeans and many across the world, she's come to be seen as a crisis manager, always there when the chips are down. But Merkel can be reluctant to step forward. And during the 2010 Eurozone crisis, she was reluctant to take the lead. But she did bet on the currency and the
2: continent. If the euro fails, Europe fails, she told the Bundestag. But it was
1: another crisis that would cause her more soul-searching and far greater political difficulty. Her greatest challenge came in 2015, when she decided to keep Germany's borders open to over a million asylum seekers from war-torn countries, mainly Syria. That move divided Germany, but she issued a counter-challenge. If we start to excuse ourselves for showing a friendly face, she said, then this is not my country.
2: muss ganz ehrlich sagen, wenn wir jetzt anfangen uns noch entschuldigen dafür, dass wir in Notsituationen ein freundliches Gesicht zeigen, dann ist das nicht mein Land. At first the German
1: public largely agreed refugees were welcomed at train stations and airports across the country. It even had a name, the Willkommenskultur, a culture of welcome. But problems and criticisms did mount, particularly the accusation that she had single handedly upended Asylum and Immigration laws. And her catchphrase, Wir schaffen das, we can do it, struck some as glib.
2: And I say, ganz einfach, Deutschland is a starkes land. And the motive in which we can these things, must be haben so vieles geschafft, wir schaffen das. Wir schaffen das und wo uns etwas in Wege steht, muss es überwunden werden.
1: The COVID-19 pandemic brought out a different side to Merkel, but she's found herself under pressure from poor polling over COVID rules that have become unpopular and she begged her fellow Germans to follow strict guidance, a more emotional side to her usually temperate delivery. As she said, she was sorry from the bottom of her heart that Christmas had an effect. ...zu
2: anfleht, vor Weihnachten, bevor man Oma und Opa und Großeltern und ältere Menschen sieht, eine Woche der Kontaktreduzierung zu ermöglichen.
1: I last met up with the German Chancellor at Davos a couple of years ago and when I talked to her about Europe and about Brexit she bristled a bit at what she calls my sceptical British glance at things but she also said that those of us who wrote about East Germany before the fall of the wall had a special place for her whatever the rapids of European history since you were all a kind of beacon of hope for us she said very earnestly in the Merkel way. I wanted to know from a seasoned veteran of politics, Wolfgang Novak, why Merkel is such a tough act to follow. And what are the biggest challenges for her successor?
0: I think with Christian Democrats, were never her party. She stayed someone from the outside, a scientist in the party. But for the Germans, she was something else. She was called Mutti. I think you remember the, the Hillary Clinton debate with, with Obama in 2008. And when Hillary Clinton said, well, it's three or four o'clock in the morning, suddenly the phone rings and something awful has happened. Whom do you want at the phone? Well, we, the Germans, for 16 years, we didn't even wake up because we knew Merkel is on the phone. And that has calmed us. Therefore, Germany became asleep. And now we have to wake up. And this is a big problem for the successor of Merkel, whoever he or she will be. We don't like change in Germany and we will have to change. We will miss her, but she is gone and Germany has slept too long. The mistake of Merkel was that she has kept a balance of unsolved problems, but now there will come financement of Europe. How do we deal with Poland? What should we do with the United States? We have a German question in Europe. Since the Brexit, Germany is too strong to be neglected by the European uh, other countries. But it's not strong enough to, to impose our will.
1: Now's the right time to look at who could be the face of German leadership after Sunday. Angela Merkel's Christian Democrat Party is now led by Armin Laschet.
0: I'm with the Verantwortung bewusst, die mit diesem Amt verbunden ist. And I will alles tun, dass wir. Durch dieses Jahr gehen...
1: The premier of Germany's most popular state, North Rhine-Westphalia, Mr. Laschet is a steady hand experienced in leadership, if not flashy. He's tried to present himself as a successor to Angela Merkel, a continuity candidate, and she said as much too, endorsing him and calling him stable, reliable, moderate and balanced. No thrills there then.
2: With Armin Laschet as Bundeskanzler. Denn seine Regierung will für Stabilität, Verlässlichkeit, Maß und Mitte stehen. Und das ist genau das, was Deutschland braucht.
1: But Laschet has had an up and down campaign. And he's come across as a bit uncharismatic. Easily stumped. Not least by kids' questions earlier this month.
2: Ich habe Fotos gesehen auf dem Raus zu hmm Willst du damit aufhören?
0: <lacht> also, ähm,
2: Ist ja ungesund.
0: Ja, das stimmt, aber es ist so vieles ungesund. Und ich rauche die nicht auf Lunge.
2: In the polls,
1: at least the Social Democratic Party candidate Olaf Scholz has the lead.
2: Sondern im Gespräch mit all denen, die uns nahestehen, den Nachbarn, den Freunden, der Familie, den Kolleginnen und Kollegen, und all den anderen, die wir erreichen können. Lasst uns gemeinsam dafür arbeiten, dass Deutschland seine Zukunft anpackt. Die SPD steht dafür bereit. Schön dank.
1: Currently Finance Minister in the grand coalition, Scholz is not exactly a bundle of charisma either, but he did defend himself earlier this year saying that yes, he does have emotions, but he is after all applying to be chancellor and not a circus ringmaster.
2: Ich bewerbe mich als Kanzler, nicht als
0: Zirkusdirektor.
1: He also said he could run faster than Angela Merkel. Well, then. at the start of the campaign one party leader did look engaging, exciting and fresh, and that was the Greens with their candidate Annalena Baerbock.
2: Für mich ist für jegliche Koalitionsverhandlung zentral die Frage Klimaschutz. Die nächste Bundesregierung muss die Weichen für Klimaneutralität in unserem Land stellen und ich glaube es gerade sehr sehr deutlich geworden, dass das offensichtlich nicht die Position der CDU ist.
1: But the televised debates, known as the TRIEL because there are three candidates, all potentially vying to be Chancellor, have been testing for the Greens and for Baerbock personally. She's faced accusations of plagiarism and the party has started to lag in the polls, although it may still be in a large coalition. If you're watching it from the outside, it can feel like a lot of very inside baseball because so much depends on the constellation of the coalition that comes together as a result of the results on Sunday. But whoever emerges as leader, the light will change, and so will the most prominent face on the international stage representing Germany. There's quite a concatenation of headaches and tensions, domestically and internationally, awaiting whoever is next at the helm. Dr. Claudia Major is a security expert at Germany's biggest think tank, Stiftung Wissenschaft und Politik. I spoke to her from Berlin about life after Merkel, and what the next chancellor should focus on when it comes to Germany's relations with the wider world. So Merkel came to power 16 years ago, but she's been around since the 1990s, trying to get to the top of German politics, really as soon as the Berlin Wall fell. How did Merkel see Germany's position in the world in her years as she's making that ascent to the chancellery?
3: I think one of the key ideas was to recognising that Germany is a rather big country in Europe, this famous saying of too big for Europe, but too small for the world. And she took that as, as a responsibility to firmly anchor and integrate Germany in Europe. And if you look at her style of, of doing politics, it wasn't impressive mixture of somehow restraint of putting German positions to the forefront and a big responsibility of trying to bring the other countries in Europe in. So there was a very strong focus on compromise of bringing various interests in Europe together and in keeping the European house together. There was a strong conviction that Germany can only be in a good position, that Germany can only flourish to a certain extent if it's anchored in a strong, vibrant, prosperous Europe. And this is, I think, one of the leitmotifs of Merkel's, Merkel's foreign policy, is Germany anchored in Europe together with its partners. And I think what she succeeded in her small steps, keeping the European house together approach is that she reduced the neighbor's fear of Germany. She didn't have much visions or she didn't as an eloquent speaker, grand design like President Macron, but in her kind of small step consensus compromised, not very glamorous way, she was able to keep Europe together and reduce the fear of a German dominant hegemony in Europe.
1: I suppose my challenges to that would be in the following areas. One would be, you talk about keeping Europe together. I suppose if if the aim is to sort of keep the jigsaw puzzle broadly together, putting aside Brexit as in a separate category, that kind of works. If you look to the sense of optimism that there was about Eastern Central Europe and, and countries which indeed had been so important at the heart of 1989 and that outburst of freedom uh, in Hungary and The former Czechoslovakia in Poland. That seems to have gone backwards. If we look at arguments over differences of handling Russia, a resurgent and at times even aggressive Russia, that's not going too well. And there are many differences in Europe about how to handle that. I wonder if her foreign policy legacy is as secure as you suggest.
3: Um I mean there are obviously contradictions in the German position, and we need to recognize those. And they're in internal tension and in what Germany wants and how it behaved on the international scene. Um and the one is obviously the, the desire for closer European cooperation while at the same time being the model pupil in the transatlantic relationship and being a close, close ally to the US. There is another contradiction with regard to Russia. On the one hand, uh, Merkel was very outspoken in criticising Putin, and she was one of the architects of the sanctions against Russia in the European Union. Germany very strongly committed in NATO with the deterrence and defence measures. But at the same time, pushing through Nord Stream 2, which has been perceived as a betrayal by our Central and Eastern European allies. Uh, while recognizing that this Merkel way of doing things, we even have a word for that in German, Merkel. So doing small steps, pragmatic, no vision, but keeping everybody on board. This might have worked in the last 16 years. So the question is whether the pressing challenges we have now would not require a more courageous, a more visionary, a more radical approach from Germany as one of the key actors in Europe. So pandemic. Climate change, geopolitical competition, keeping the EU together for the next years. Let's turn
1: to what comes after Merkel. Run us through the key approaches, if you could, of the three key candidates in the race. Do you see very clear differences? Maybe you could just put a bit of a bumper sticker on each candidate for us.
3: We have two candidates, um, the Social Democrats, Olaf Scholz, and the Conservative Armin Laschet, who portray themselves very much as candidates of continuity. And then we have the green candidate, Annalena Baerbock, who portrays herself really as a candidate of change. If you look at the content, how do they differentiate each other in, say, China, Russia, defense spending and nuclear issues, what we see is whatever is going to happen, whoever is going to be in the new government, we will have a change in the China policy. Recognizing China more as a systemic rival How hawkish it will really be in the end depends on who is going to be in government. And if I look at the Greens, uh, they very clearly call for a mix of dialogue on things like climate change, but certain robustness on human rights, on increasing resilience on exports and imports. It's a bit softer with the conservatives, for example. I think where we see the biggest differences is defense spending. So to what extent the parties agree to increase defense spending or fund the armed forces. And here we have a clear difference between the Conservatives on the one hand, who openly recognize and support the 2% goal of the GDP that has been agreed upon NATO, whereas the other parties are a bit more reluctant. For example, the Green parties agree on funding the armed forces, but they want, for example, to do more European cooperative projects. And the other point are nuclear issues. The whole question of what role Germany should play in nuclear deterrence, should it play an active role in nuclear deterrence where the Conservatives are rather in favour of an active role of Germany whereas the Social Democrats and the Greens are very much reluctant.
1: The most likely outcome, in as much as we can say, peering into this weekend, the election is so close that anything we say, I don't think we... uh, give people their money back if we've been wrong. <laughs> but let's say that it looks still like it. it could be Olaf Scholz and the SPD as the single biggest party that would put him in a commanding position for negotiations to be the next chancellor. This is, is someone whose background has been in domestic social democratic politics in you know, a very successful mayor of Hamburg. It's very hard to say there's a Schultz view of the the world. Do you pick up anything that makes you think, I'm pretty sure he'd do this and not that, he'd point this way and not the other way?
3: The question is who are going to be his coalition partners? Because if he has to find a common ground with two other partners, as it looks like in the moment, he will have to agree and find a compromise. And to just give you a, a very bold example, if one party supports... Germany's role in nuclear deterrence, and the other one is totally against it, it's very difficult to find a common ground. But that also means you cannot go in with 100% of your positions. It's difficult to predict what position he's going to take, because to a certain extent, he is linked to his party program, but he has to accept a compromise with the two other coalition partners.
1: In the end, who goes around the world? Who shakes the hands? Who scowls? Who smiles? The Chancellor of Germany. And I wonder whether you think that there's For all of the, there's always a debate about this, isn't it? How much do coalitions make the chancellor and the other way around? Angela Merkel, partly because she was there for so long, but she did have a way of being the person that you looked at on the international stage. So whatever the dealings behind the scenes, that person could well be someone very, very untried. And I wonder whether you feel that psychologically Germany is ready for that.
3: After 16 years of Merkel, we will have a new chancellor. We will have lots of new MPs. And we will have three parties. So there will be change. In the same time, German foreign policy has always been very much about continuity. And it's interesting to see how this tension is going to work out. Having said that, I think there are certain elements that you will find in the next chancellor, whatever is going to happen. So the one I said already, it's a more tough stance on China. But I think there are two kind of DNA-like elements. And this is a strong transatlantic relationship. And the second element is what I would call our European DNA, and that's the conviction that Germany is best placed in a strong Europe that actually sticks together. And the question is how Germany can contribute to increase Europe's capacity to act and actually find find a place as being one of the leading countries without being too big.
1: Now zum Schluss. Well, it's not long now till we get an idea of who the next chancellor might well be. And we'd love to know what you think as the Merkel era draws steadily to a close. Write to us, podcasts at economist.com, or you can tweet us at Economist Pods. The Economist will keep you up to date too on all the goings on around the election. Do keep an ear out too for our sister podcast, The Intelligence, which will be on the ground from Germany. And on our website, you can read our magnificent special report by my colleague, Tom Nuttall, looking into the Merkel legacy and what's in store for the future. And while you're on, you knew this bit was coming, but why not become a subscriber today? For your best introductory offer, go to economist.com slash podcast offer. The link is in the show notes. My thanks to my guests, Wolfgang Novak and Claudia Mayor. My producers were Alicia Burrell, Stevie Hertz and Nicholas Rofast. So it's farewell from Mooty and it's Auf Wiedersehen from me and McElvoy. And in Berlin, this is The Economist.